0: Welcome to the God Solution Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. I'm Brandon Cox. And we are excited that you're tuned back into the show. Again, it's kind of starting out new here in Albuquerque. I would encourage you to share the show with your friends, let people know about what's going on, and it's a great place where they could hear some of the evidence for the Christian faith and great ways to take a stand for Christ in this increasingly hostile world. Anyway, today we're going to be continuing with the second part of our interview with Greg Kokel of Stand to Reason Ministries. Anyway, you can find out more about Greg at str.org, and again that's str as in stand to reason.org, str.org, and you can find his books on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Some of his books include Tactics, one that actually revolutionized the way I think about ministry and apologetics. Another book is Relativism, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair with Francis Beckwith. They co-authored it. And Precious Unborn Human Persons, a book that is particularly relevant with all the Sting videos being released about Planned Parenthood recently. Anyway, Greg has two master's degrees, one in theology and another in apologetics. And he is an adjunct professor of apologetics at Biola University. He does a radio show on apologetics. He's just a great guy, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show again this week. Anyway, without any further ado, let's pick up in the middle of our interview with Greg Kokel. We are talking about relativism. I hope you enjoy the interview. Okay, so let's talk about relativism. You kind of hinted at that. You mentioned it. Last week, Brandon and I and a few others were doing evangelism on the UNM campus here in Albuquerque. And we spoke with a young man who claimed that he had found his own truth. He actually used that word, I found my own truth. He grew up in a Christian family. Well, his father was Christian, he rejected that. His mom remarried. His stepfather ended up being Jewish. And he kind of incorporated aspects of Judaism, mixed them in with things that he kind of got from the culture. And he said he was really content that he found his own truth, but that everybody needed to find their own truth. So definitely a relativistic perspective. What's going on with that kind of view? What's wrong with it?
1: Well, um, he, uh, uh, let me start by, by role-playing. If I were talking with him and he said that, I would say, What do you mean by truth? You found your own truth. What do you mean by truth? And I'd want him to cash it out. Now, the problem here is that the word truth has been uh, distorted. It, it has been corrupted. It is a noble word. Uh, people want the truth, they want to live according to the truth. They want to champion the truth and all this other things. But what they've done is eviscerated the word that has a noble feeling attached to it. They've eviscerated it of any significant content. And so what people do is they come up with their own little belief system and they call it their truth, okay? So when I say truth, what do they mean? Rather, when they say truth, I want to know what they mean. They say, Well, this is my belief system. Okay, I get it. So, in other words, when you say I came up with my own truth, when you say truth, you mean this is your constructed belief system. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I got that. But I got another question for you Can merely believing something make it true? Okay, well, now that I think most people are going to pause there because they're going to realize just believing. something can make it true. Some people have false beliefs about things. Just believing something can't make it true. Um, I mean, this is the direction I'm going with these questions. And you notice that here I'm employing right out of the gate a tactical approach. First, I'm using a question that is meant to get clarification. So this is, uh, what what do you mean by that is the first question that we teach people to ask to get clarification of a view especially when there's an ambiguity in the view that's allowing the view to sound good when it turns out to be a little bit silly so i wanna what do you mean by truth okay it's a belief system Well, can believing something actually make it true but now if a person's gonna say well yeah for me i said well then what's the i'm gonna ask tell me what's the difference between belief and make-believe if believing something makes it true how how can there be any make-believe all all make-believe things would be true then if you believe it So. You, do you see where I'm going here? Absolutely. These are um uh, a series of questions that are meant to 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 try to challenge his understanding that truth is a proper word to describe anything you make up. And so what I want to want to get him to kind of admit is that, and that well, I all right, maybe truth isn't the right word. Um let's just say I have my belief system. Okay, great. Okay, fine. I that's great. Now I understand you. But I have another question. What makes you confident that the belief system that you just described is actually true. And now, of course, I'm using the word truth in a different sense than he's been using it. He's been using it in a relativistic sense, my truth. And I'm trying to help him to see that that is not helpful. It's misleading. So now I've kind of cleared the way... For me now using truth in its classical sense, he's owning his beliefs as his beliefs. Now, I'm asked, how do you know if the beliefs are true? Or are you just living in a fantasy? And so that's where I want to get the discussion. I want him to, uh, uh, the whole, here's the problem, is trying to get a person to think about religious questions as if they were true or false in the classical sense. Oh, I would say the ordinary sense of those words. And not get him away get let him get away with doing this little two step here, uh where he can call his invention a truth. Because then it makes him sound like he's biting into something substantial. When he's not, he's biting into thin air. He's just he's just making things up. Oh, okay, well I can believe in leprechauns and fairies and that's my truth. Right? And that the Earth is flat, and the Earth, the flat Earth, is the center of the solar system. That's my truth. And people are going to go, "Okay, well, you're welcome to that, but you're pretty dumb, because your truth isn't true." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, so this is the, uh, this is the way I maneuver, and I hope that your listeners, in in seeing the maneuvering and what I'm trying to do with that maneuvering, are learning two things. One is there's a there's a way to maneuver in conversations that uh, put you in the driver's seat of the conversation, even though the other person is doing a lot of the talking. That isn't just you hammering them with your view, and that's asking questions. We call it the Columbo tactic, and it's in the book on tactics. It's a central feature of that book, by the way, and if people adopt this tactic, that it could absolutely, completely, and hopefully irrevocably transform the way they engage people. And much more productively too. And secondly, um, I, I want the, the listeners, your listeners, to get uh, uh, to see now the problem with relativism. Relativism is the idea that a, a, a claim about something is true simply if the person who's making the claim believes it. If, if you believe it, then it's true for you. That's it it's true for you and look at a muslim kid his belief uh, uh, let me use judaism a jew a jew who um believes that jesus is not the messiah his view is true for him and a christian who believes jesus is the messiah his view is true for him both views even though contradictory are just as true equally true but for because they're talking about the beliefs of the subject and you're not talking about the world what i want to know is whether jesus was or was not the messiah as a matter of fact regardless of who happens to believe in it and that's the discussion that needs to be had and uh... and it's difficult for people this mantra of my truth is so pervasive and it started in the sixties that it is ingrained in people and it is very difficult to get them out of that rhythm and that's why i suggest these questions to kind of get them uh, to think more critically about the, the nonsense way of approaching the issue of truth the relativistic way and you could have truth, a relativistic truth in morality you know homosexuality may, as wrong may be true for you but it's not for me and so it's just a matter of personal opinion so therefore you don't get it. you don't have a right to say anything you can't press the issue or, Jesus may be true for you, but he's not for me, or the, all of those kinds of things. And, and, um, and if you press the issue, you're, it, started, it starts to sound to people like you're saying, well, I have my flavor of ice cream, you have your flavor of ice cream, but my flavor of ice cream is the true flavor of ice cream, and if you don't like my flavor, then you're a sinner and you're going to hell. And that sounds ludicrous. But that's the way they're trying to cash out these religious questions um i uh, I actually think the whole relativistic thing is is uh has spiritual dimensions to it, you know, and this is why it's it it's a foolishness that sounds profound. Part of our job then is to try to help unwrap it a little bit um Dr. Frank Beckwith and I wrote a book dealing with this issue that I could recommend here it 's still in print now since nineteen ninety eight so we 've had a, a long run with this book and the book is simply titled Relativism, and the subtitle is Feet Firmly Planted in Midair. <laughs> uh, so it's available at our our, our website, Stand the Reason. It's probably on Amazon, too. But So there's a little bit of a, a thumbnail sketch of some of the problems of relativism.
0: And that book is available on Amazon as well. Go to str.org to get it yeah. uh, or to Amazon or wherever. But, yeah, do get it. And it is important for Christians to be able to answer these kinds of questions because, this is where the culture is. So you go through a list of autophagic, self-defeating statements in tactics, uh-huh. and I would love it if you would share a few of those with our audience and why they are self-defeating.
1: Yeah. Well, I get. I start—this uh, is called the suicide tactic, and the suicide tactic trades on the tendency of some points of view to self-destruct. That is, they have within them the seeds of their own destruction— and all you have to do is see the problem and point it out. So it's, it's, it's just a matter of insight for the Christian, and then you, you point it out. And if you do it with a question, it's even that much more effective. But um, in a way, it's not that difficult. And there are all kinds of things that people say that turn out to be self-refuting. Uh, let me just give you a very common example, and then I'll give you a couple of short, funny ones, and then, uh, uh, and then we'll go from there. Um, if I said to you, Nate, I cannot speak a single word in English. <laughs> now you can see that the speaking of such a claim itself refutes the claim. All right. If I said uh, for you to you, um, uh, I there is there is not a single thing anyone can know with confidence. (laughs) Now, there's a statement that you might ask, well, look at it. Are are you confident that you know that, Greg?
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) Because that seems to be something that I'm stating with confidence, and it it is a feature of knowledge. So that's a statement of knowledge. For someone to say there is no truth, well, the statement itself is a claim that the person thinks is actually true. And so if, if there are no statements that are true, then what do you make of the statement that there is no truth? Then the statement is either true or false. If it's false, then the person's wrong. If, if the person at least thinks it's true, then the statement is still false. That is the nature of a self-defeating statement. It's false under every circumstance. And so, therefore, um, you don't have to do any fancy footwork to show that they're on the wrong path. You just need to demonstrate uh, the mistake. You just need to point out the mistake. Um, Yogi Berra had um, a bunch of little statements that had built-in contradictions in them. That made the issue. A little, his statements kind of funny. He'd say things like, "If you come to a fork in the road, take it." <laughs> well, you can't take both forks, right? It's, 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 it. um, you, 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 it, he says, uh, "Always go to other people's funerals, uh, otherwise they won't go to yours." <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, can, you know, so or uh, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. So these are clever little things that, in his case, actually have a, have a ring of wisdom to them, but they're stated in contradictory ways. And he just did these things by accident. You know, he had all kinds of these. Those are called malaprops. Um, but in any event, uh, those are the funny ones. But to, the, the kinds of things that I, I will give you an example of the kinds of things that seem to come up a lot in, uh, in, in conversations about spiritual things, the claim that there is no truth. Of course, this comes up a lot with regards uh, to spiritual claims Well, there is no truth. Oh, well, wait a minute, is that true? Okay. Now, this is when you counter with that, a lot of times people think you're playing a word trick on them, but, uh, but you're not. Um, you, you, it, it's just straightforward, and, but they don't see it. Um, once I was talking to a chiropractor, this story is in the relativism book, and uh, a physical therapist, and, and he, was, he was doing some PT on me, and we got a conversation about spiritual things, and when certain issues came up, he said, well, you know, that's judgmental. And I said, uh, now, he had just made a mistake, and I, but I was going to, in a sense, draw it out a bit and help him to see it. <laughs> uh, so I said, what's wrong with that? And he said, well, it's wrong to judge. Now, what had he just done when he, said it's, when he, he says that's judgmental and then adds it's wrong to judge?
0: He made a judgment.
1: <laughs> He's made a judgment, you know. And I said, well, well, Gil, if it's wrong to judge, then why are you judging me right now? Now he had never heard anything like that before. Notice by the way that I point out the contradiction by using a question, and if I use a question that throws the ball in his court, I am not thumping him on the chest saying, "You're contradictory, you're doing the thing you're telling me not to do, which is true, but that that wouldn't have been tactically shrewd. instead, I say, "Why are you judging me?" and that caught him off short, now he's got to answer and I'll, and what he said was after he thought about for a while made a he said i I guess I was, well, I guess, I guess it's okay to judge is what he said. <laughs> but he said, you can't push your morality on other people. That's what, he thought he was going to improve his situation that way. <laughs> and, and I said, well, Gil, uh, uh, then another question for clarification's sake. What you just said, it's wrong to push your morality on other people. Is that your moral point of view? he said yes of course <laughs> without realizing what was about to come and i said well then why are you now pushing your morality on me see he was doing the same thing again so this is what i call practical suicide um the first one when a person says um uh, there is no truth uh that's formal suicide there's a very direct way that uh their claim is self contradictory or i can't speak any words but um but the um the The claim that that there that, you know that, you, you shouldn't judge this is this is practical suicide that means uh in practice they are contradicting themse- contradicting themselves um the, the, there's a, uh another type of uh suicide that I call sibling rivalry and that's where you have two objections that contradict each other, and the person voices two objections and um if a person wants to make a claim. That their relativistic claim about morality, that there is no morality that's objective. Okay, I understand that. They could argue for that point, but what they can't do, and therefore they get out from underneath any claim that they're a sinner, because look, if there's no objective morals, there are no sins. Okay, so you can see they got a stake in this, being relativists. But then if you ask them, but then a little while later, a lot of times they'll raise the problem of evil. Now the problem of evil trades on objective morality if moral morality is relative there's no evil in the world they're just things people don't like and that they have a variety of differences of opinions about what people like and don't like so then so the so wait a minute how can how can you say there is no morality and but there is evil in the world these are two objections that conflict with each other in the mind in the in the kind of world view or whatever of the non Christian in this case, and if he's going to be intellectually honest, he's got to surrender one or the other, one or the other. He can't keep them both, and um, and so that this is another type of suicide. So this notion of self-destructive points of view can actually played out in a in a number of ways, and if you're alert for for self-refuting statements, um, you can it's it, you, you you can you you can. Get around a lot of challenges. The statement, for example, that only science gives us truth about the world and religion and morality doesn't give us truth, is itself a statement that they believe is true. Which statement did not um, did not come? They did not discover through using science. It's a statement that that they bring to the project of science. It's not one that the scientific method has demonstrated to be so. And so their own, their statement uh, uh, cannot fulfill its own demand. Science is the only thing that gives truth, but that's a truth that's not, that doesn't come from science. So, so it can't fulfill its requirement and therefore it's self-refuting. And there are many more like this I have in the book, but that ought to give your listeners a taste.
0: My undergraduate degree was in chemistry and I love that approach because chemistry and science, they tell us a lot about the natural world, but they have their boundaries, you know, and it's good to notice that. I think it was Hume that said that something is only true if it's true by definition or empirically verifiable, and many have since noted that that statement is neither. Thus, the statement itself falls apart. If you're just tuning in, this is The God Solution Show, and you can find out more about the show at godsolutionshow.com. I love this approach that you bring because my tendency is just to whack somebody with with reality and truth and logic and science Uh and... But to ask these questions is important. So let me give an example. I was reading your book, and I took my newborn daughter out uh, witnessing with me. It's important to my wife and I that we involve our kids in ministry. So my daughter was actually four days old, my daughter Kara. And I had her with me, and I was out witnessing in uh, Durango, Colorado, where I lived at the time. And I was talking to a street vendor at a festival that was going on. He was selling, you know, candied popcorn or something like that. And I began talking to him about Christ, and he told me how he had been in seminary and he wanted to go into ministry. And then he said, but I came to the conclusion that it is wrong to have a firm perspective on anything. So I've just been reading your book. (laughs) So I asked probably you'd already, you know what I asked. I said, well, isn't that a firm perspective on something? Uh The second I said it, the guy looked, and it's kind of like what you say in tactics, be careful how you use this tactic it's so powerful it might bring somebody nearly to tears they won't know how to respond right he right. sat there with his mouth open he right. had he he had no words he had nothing right. he, he literally looked like he just realized that decades of his life had been spent in <laughs> error and right well you know
1: it's uh i call this response in the book the simon a garfunkel response because it reminds me of this this duo, musical duo, who was most popular in the '60s and '70s, that of a song they wrote called "The Sounds of Silence." And sometimes, when you ask these questions, and they're legitimate questions, they're very simple questions um, that pertain to their view. They, 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 they are struck dumb because they have ne- they have never thought about the challenge you'd offered to them. And, uh, and 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 it, it yeah, you're very effective. A nice use of the tactic there, uh, Nate. Well, nice, nice going.
0: Thank you for for giving us the tactic because honestly, it's not my my perspective as as, as it naturally goes. It's I've not per- your instinct. No, <laughs> mine
1: it- neither. It was, <laughs> not, I mean, I like pounding people on the head and telling them what I know and what they don't know. You know, that's where I'm at. That's that's where, I've had to fight that instinct over the years, but well, uh, thankfully, I have a new approach now that's much more effective. Sheds more light than heat, as it turns out.
0: Yeah, my wife constantly, when we'll be in conversations with people, apologetic conversations, I'll, I'll start to trend towards the the powerful evidence side of things, and my wife will elbow me and whisper in my ear, tactics, tactics. <laughs> so, Well, we've trained our students in this, and we're continuing to, and I just want to share with the audience this technique. Based on your book, I kind of shared with our students you know some of our interns have had it as required reading and things like that but we've said whenever you're talking with someone and they make a a firm statement ask yourself how does that statement apply to itself one of our students who's a philosophy major he was in a class where the professor said we can't know anything with confidence we can't know anything with confidence yeah and in the in front of the whole class, he raised his hand and he said, "Can we know that with confidence?" Uh-huh. And he he said that the professor couldn't respond. The class was laughing. He didn't mean to put him on the spot, and of course he right. didn't say anything aggressive. But he came to me afterwards and he said, "All I did was apply that strategy. I just asked how the how the statement applied to itself, and right. it showed that it doesn't stand. So right. if you're in a conversation, don't just let things like that slide by." Ask the question, follow the tactic
1: mm-hmm. you know there's uh, I suspect too that that professor has all kinds of views that are politically correct that he holds with complete confidence, so much so that he will denigrate those who disagree with him, um, ideas about sex and about about liberties and about uh, homosexuality and same sex marriage and and uh, abortion and uh, all kinds of other leftist causes um uh academic freedoms uh freedom of speech all of these kinds of things i i guarantee you the professor ha- holds with confidence is that uh, what was the uh the statement he made you he said, you can't hold any view with confidence something like that you can't know
0: anything with confidence yeah
1: yes you can't know anything with confidence and so this same question that your alert student asked the professor Uh, regarding the claim can also be asked of the professor whenever the professor down the line starts campaigning and evangelizing for his own private views. And, uh, you know, about same-sex marriage, let's just say, blah, 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 all that. So, yeah, I can't believe blah, blah, blah. Professor, I have a question about this. Are your views about same-sex marriage views that you hold with confidence or do? Are you applying this other principle that you mentioned earlier that you never hold any views with confidence? Because it sounds to me like you're pretty confident. Am I misunderstanding you right here, Professor? Professor, that thing about abortion you're talking about, or about the Bible, about God, as the term goes on, are you holding a view of confidence? Are you telling me that you don't? nobody can have any confidence that what you're talking about is true? Just keep asking the same question exactly. over and over and over again.
0: And you could ask that whenever you don't appreciate the grade he gave you
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Are you confident I don't deserve I, that I deserve an f Do you hold that with confidence or something like that? Well, you know that is a kind of a practical consideration in those circumstances and here's my my, my approach to that as the grades because I understand the the importance of grades you know, people who are students have to have to be careful, but this is why you always have to be gracious. You all also always have to approach a professor as a superior. He's, he's, he's older, he's got a position of authority in the classroom, and you have to go with your hat in your hands, but it doesn't mean you can't ask a question that's fair and legitimate in a nice way that puts, puts him on the spot. You can do that as long as you do it the right way. The second thing you have to do with professors like that, when they give you tests, you've got to give them the answers he's looking for. You can't. You got to show that you understand what he taught. It doesn't mean you have to agree with it. You just have to uh, show uh, uh, you have to understand what it was that he taught when he's asking. Um, And so, uh, and this, so you can still. This gives you a a better chance of getting a good grade because you fulfill the requirements without acquiescing to his views.
0: Well, that was the second part of our interview with Greg Kokel. You can tune in next week to hear the final part of the interview with Greg Kokel. And keep tuning in. After the Kokel interviews end, we are going to be interviewing Dr. Michael Brown. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be an exciting interview. Anyway, I hope that you caught the meaning of everything that Greg shared today. And that's that each one of us have an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know many of you out there understand that, and already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'd be crazy not to share the greatest news that human beings have ever heard with you this morning, wherever you're at in your journey. And I know there are people out there listening right now that don't have relationships with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God loves you and me, but that we're sinners and our sin separates us from a perfect God. We kind of know that intuitively, I believe. The Bible also says that God became a man, Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for our sins so that we would not have to pay for our own sins because we could never pay for our own sins the bible says that jesus rose again guaranteeing that all who trust in him could experience eternal life so that really is it are you going to trust in christ and surrender your life to him or are you going to keep holding on to that steering wheel yourself if you haven't taken that step i ask you to take that right now to do that expressing your faith through prayer saying jesus i believe that you are who you say you are that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again to give me new life. I ask you to be my Savior and Lord, to come into my life, and to make me the kind of person that you want me to be. The Bible says if you took that step this morning, if you really put your faith and trust in him, you've been adopted into his family, and you can look forward to a life of abundance on this planet and an eternal life with him in heaven. I encourage you to go to godsolutionshow.com to check out a list of local churches that you could visit this morning, and to find out ways that you could partner with the show. We need you to get the word out and tell your friends about the show and to get them listening. It's a great show where they're going to be encouraged, but we also could use your financial support to expand the ministry of the show. So check out the partner tab while you're there as well. Well, anyway, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I am so glad that you're listening, and I pray that you continue to grow closer to him this week. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend.